Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, we have one of our interview episodes. We're going to be interviewing Dr. Lily Cushenberry. She's one of our good friends from grad school, so she went to Penn State and got her PhD in Industrial Organizational Psychology. She's an assistant professor of management at Stony Brook University in New York and the director of the Leadership and Creativity Research Lab. Her work focuses around leadership, innovation, and conflict, which is really important in terms of well-being. She focuses mostly on leader errors and mistakes and their recovery, and she also looks at team members and team climate in terms of innovation. She's been published in many top-tier journals, and she also does some consulting work on the side. So I hope you enjoy the interview with Lily today and learn a lot about her research. Thanks so much for being here. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. She's also a really good friend of ours from grad school. Yeah. Lily and I were in the same class, so we, we started in 2007, yes. forever ago, which is so scary. And, and we're I, the only Californians, so we had we to were. learn how to manage the snow together. That's a good point. We were the only Californians, so we showed up, and Katina made fun of us for wearing crazy jackets when it wasn't that cold yet. I did, and it wasn't. <laughs> um. <laughs> You're a Philadelphia person. You are used to Pennsylvania. We are from... Northern and Southern California, respectively. We were used to the warmth, and we did not know how to handle it very well. Yeah, and they took advantage of us at the outdoor store when we told them that. That's true. <laughs> they did. We never spent our entire first month graduate <laughs> stipend there. That's actually, I mean, I haven't even thought about that in a while. That is so true. I spent like $400 on this ridiculous coat, but I did use it all the time. Yeah, I still have my ski gloves, even though I don't ski. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, and now for the ice picks. <laughs> You're going to need some spikes on the bottom of your shoes. Yes. Here are all the things that you definitely don't need, but California, that's yeah. it. Here's a monthly license for a Sherpa. <laughs> I'm just here to do research, okay? I'm not going to be outside at all. Oh, my gosh. Well, Lily had a tiny, well, she still has a same car. She had a little Yaris, mm-hmm. and uh, that didn't work out so well in the snow. But it's easy to push. So. I, guess, I guess that's true. <laughs> I would come and pick you up, though. That yes, was a thing. And the, we would always pick nice. her up whenever she didn't want to dig herself out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would get stranded. Yeah, because I had a RAV4 at the time. So it was a little bit taller. It still wasn't like a crazy aggressive car, but it was a little taller. It was taller than your Yaris for sure. Better in snow. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, definitely. Because um, I hated digging myself out, too. I would like... I would start, and I'd be like, screw it. I'm just going to push my car over it. And I would just reverse <laughs> and jump over the hill of the snow. It's like, I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. Well, that's why when – so Patricia and Lily have traveled a bunch together as well. Mm-hmm. And so you usually go to places that are more warm than cold, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We do better there. Yeah. We went to um, Hong Kong and Vietnam mm-hmm. together and South then Korea. South Korea. Lily – teaches the class there in December. I do. Um, part classes. of the College of Business, we have a master's level leadership class that I teach there, and um, I get to teach engineers, um, and they all become managers, so it's really exciting. Yeah, so I got to come and like hang out with her while she was there, stay in her room for free, which is always a bonus. <laughs> um, so the rest of the trip we had to pay for, but, <laughs> but when I was in Seoul, I got to hang out with Lily and have a free room. Yes. I can't complain at all. So yeah, when you've probably seen um, our our blog posts about traveling, I post a lot of pictures from our trips, um, and we had a great time. Yeah, we did. It's awesome. I'm always so jealous when I see 
your trips and also the pictures from the trips because Lily takes amazing photos and so there's always these like wonderful pictures that come out of the trips that look so beautiful and amazing so and that's just a skill that I do not have um, and so I, I always look at them like where are they this is the most majestic place in the world but I could probably go to the same place and take pictures and people would be like is she in a 7-eleven like where? Uh, um, so yeah um awesome awesome watching you travel the world though and so cool that you get to teach there as well so could you tell us a little bit about sort of what you do and what your job looks like on a daily basis just so our listeners can get a little bit of a sense of what being a professor in the college of business looks like at stony brook sure yeah so my research is in leadership and innovation more of my job is research than teaching but i also do teach two mba classes I teach a leadership class and another class called Organizational Behavior, which is a more general management class. And these are both core courses at Stony Brook. So that means that I get students from all the different areas, so marketing, accounting, finance, and management areas. And uh, it's typically one of the first classes that they take in the program. So it's, it's really nice to be able to meet them and hear about all of their backgrounds and also hear about how leadership happens in all of their different areas that they work. So I've had some students that are administrators at the hospital. I had a student that worked at the Federal Reserve. Um, I've had lots of engineering students that are already engineers but come back to get their MBA to become managers. And so it's fun to hear about you know, the conflicts that they're having as leaders. And it's really meaningful for them as well because I think once you've been in the work world and then you come back and you try to talk about leadership, it's a much different experience than going straight out of undergrad and what you think of leadership at that time. It's really cool to see people that want to keep learning. When I was growing up, my neighbors that lived across the street from us was a couple and they were both retired. And the woman in the couple, she got her PhD along with her daughter. They went through the same program. Oh, how cute. Um, and they graduated together. And the guy in the couple, he also went back to school to get a master's degree and they took all these like when social media started happening they were taking like social media literacy courses and they just like kept learning and kept doing stuff their whole lives and it was really awesome to watch them just continue to like keep up to date with things and be able to have interesting conversations with people about like new cutting-edge stuff so I think that's awesome yeah so can you talk to us so you mentioned that most of your job or more of your job is about research than teaching so we touched a little bit on the teaching part but can you talk to us about what you research, what your main areas are, and then I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about how it might relate to employee wellness. Sure, yeah. So I study leadership and innovation. Those are my two main research areas. I'm the director of the Leadership and Creativity Research Lab. I usually have some somewhere between 15 to 20 research assistants that work in my lab, and we do a lot of different types of studies, so um, experimental studies. Um, we look at historiometric type of data, which means that it's data that's already existing in the world and we code it and try to take things that are words or ideas and make them into numbers so we can run some analyses on them and translate those. So when you're working on research projects and you know having all these different balls in the air what are some of the different topic areas that you're studying like more specifically so can you give us an example of like a study that you have going right now? Sure yeah so in my leadership research one of the things I'm interested in is leader accountability so what happens when leaders make mistakes and how do they recover from those mistakes when we think about failure we often think about what led up to that failure and how can we prevent it in the future so some of my previous work was looking at that what we really learned from that is just that 
failure is pretty inevitable and mm. leadership positions in particular are so complicated that you know you just describe balls in the air and there's mm. so many that you'd have to juggle as a leader and a lot of the times you have to make decisions and you don't have perfect information and you just have to do something that you might not be completely comfortable with and that might lead to the wrong answer and so we know that these things happen and they are preventable to some extent, but we also know that it's just likely that as leaders, we all make mistakes and that mistakes are just part of leadership. So some of my research now is looking at how do we recover from those mistakes and how does that story that we tell both ourselves and our followers affect the followers relationship with a leader, but also how the leader sees themselves. So if you're failing over and over, the story that you tell yourself about what happened um, can be just as important as how other people perceive you, especially when we think about things like resilience and you know keeping going in a career that can be pretty difficult and complicated and has lots of factors involved. And so these stories are going to make a big impact on our even w our willingness to pursue leadership positions. So what are the most interesting findings with that? So if I'm a leader and I keep failing, what, what should I do? So unfortunately, the answer to this is still a little bit complex, and sometimes the data I get isn't what I expect or even what I hope to find. <laughs> so, but as a scientist, you know, that's just kind of what happens. Um, so one of my studies, for example, looked at how people recover from mistakes, how leaders recover from mistakes, and it was an experimental study. So I had a leader that made a mistake in front of a bunch of followers, and it was the same mistake every time, and then they had to use one of the recovery strategies, which were apology. They blamed other people for it in another condition. They just ignored it, or they made an excuse. And then there was another condition where they made no mistake at all. So most of the prevailing thought right now on how people should recover from mistakes is to apologize, right? There's a big push right now for authentic experiences with leadership and really, you know, talking about your true self and allowing your followers to get to know you and to be vulnerable. And I think all these things are really important and especially important for building trust. But at the same time, there's a conflict for leaders because they have to be in this position of authority and they need people to respect them and they want people to see them as competent and able to make important decisions for their team. So part of that confidence also has to do with, you know, how they handle themselves in difficult situations and kind of being able to be resilient in those situations. So again, you know, after that mistake, if they apologize, uh, one of the downsides of that is you are showing weakness to some extent. Um, and I think that that could help your relationship with followers sometimes, uh, but it can also be a bit detrimental for you. So in this experiment that I did, I actually found that apologizing led to the lowest perceptions of leader competence and also uh, the least willingness to follow that leader in the future. And um, unfortunately, you know, some of these other strategies mean allow leaders to uh, put that accountability elsewhere. So perhaps you know they can tell a story where they weren't responsible for that mistake and in that way um, they're almost the victim of that situation instead of being the, the perpetrator of it and for followers that don't necessarily know exactly what happened because of the difference in information that leaders have versus followers there they can tell these stories in a, in a convincing way now we don't know exactly what's going to happen if they keep <laughs> saying the same using the same recovery strategy like blaming other people or making excuses over and over you know we would think that that wouldn't be as effective long term but you know especially for small mistakes things that are unintentional if you make a really big deal out of them if you you know 
<laughs> create this big apology for something that most people may not have even noticed that's still pointing out a mistake and can actually undermine your confidence. Do you think if that study happened outside of the lab, so let's say like I know my leader and I am on this team and I've been working with them for a while and they make a mistake and I know it was their fault and everyone knows it was their fault mm -hmm. and they own it versus in in the lab, someone might say, okay, you know, it was this other person's fault. I don't really know if it is or not. Mm -hmm. And so if I, but I've been, if I've been working with that leader for a long time and someone says, okay, like I, you know, I'm going to blame so-and-so, and so-and-so is sitting right there being like, hey, that wasn't my fault. I mean, everybody knows mm -hmm. it's not my fault, right? Do you think that taking it into a field context might change some of those results, or do you have some data on yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I don't have data on that yet. It is something that I'm still working on, but I, I have talked to a lot of leaders um, in the field, in various fields, and they, they kind of agreed that sometimes the apology wasn't necessarily the best way to go. And one of the things that actually I've been hearing a lot and starting to see in some of the newer studies that I've, I've uh, been analyzing data for is that another tactic called justification might actually have some of the same benefits of apology where you do admit responsibility for the mistake, so you're still having the conversation mm -hmm. about the mistake, but you attempt to make your actions seem justified under the conditions that you were in. And so you're actually implying that if you were in that situation again, you would do the same thing. Right. So okay. you're not sorry, you're not showing remorse, but you are still talking about the mistake and you're not even necessarily giving an excuse or, or saying some something else is responsible, but you're justifying and you're explaining your behavior and why you did it in a way that um, is still strong and still makes sense and allows people to see the clarity of thought with which you made that decision. That's really interesting. Mm. I feel like, you know, you had talked a little bit about um, people's, or you just talked about people's perceptions of the, the mistake or the error and the way that people recover, but you also talked a little bit before about the way in which people create a narrative about that mistake for themselves and mm. the impact that it has on them. So what does that look like or how does that affect the leader? So if I'm the leader and I keep saying, you know, it wasn't me, it was somebody else versus I apologize, I take responsibility, or if I was in this situation, I would do it again. How mm. does that impact your own personal views of yourself as a leader? Do you have anything on that? Yeah, yeah. So we have this leader identity that we create for ourselves, the ideal version of ourselves as a leader. And so it can affect that. When we consider what we want to be as a leader and how we actually behave, we may feel like we're falling short of this ideal version of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't feel like we're succeeding as a leader, we may not want to continue to pursue higher and higher positions within our organization. So this failure can actually make it harder for us to, to continue to be resilient and to overcome things. So in terms of that, have you ever looked at anything, and that, you know, this could be totally out of the blue, but uh -huh. up in terms of their well-being, like do you think, or do you have theories at least around, like if somebody's identity is not matching what their ideal is, do they have more stress or, mm -hmm. you know, not only are they not pursuing that next step, but is there something else going on maybe internally? Yeah, so one of the things that we know about stress is that relationships and social support are one of the biggest buffers of stress that we have. So our relationships with people at work really help us to overcome when negative events happen to us. And failure is, of course, a, a really personal negative event. So one of the findings that I, um, in my previous data was when leaders apologized for their mistakes, they were actually less likely to avoid their followers in the future. So when they use some of the other recovery strategies, it, you know, it creates kind of more of a buffer effect where maybe you tell the story in your mind that 
because I'm avoiding Patricia after <laughs> this mistake that I made and I didn't really talk to her about it, there's this effect that our behaviors actually often predict our attitudes. So mm-hmm. because I've been avoiding Patricia, that means that maybe I don't like her all that much. And so I, I take the behavior that I did and that informs me of what, how I really feel about my followers. So basically what you're saying then is if I'm avoiding myself, Patricia. (laughs) (laughs) So if I'm avoiding Lily because I made this mistake, Mm -hmm. I'm going to start feeling like we don't have as good of a relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure about you. I'm not seeing and hanging out with you anymore. And so in my head, I've kind of changed my opinion Mm -hmm. about you, even though nothing has really happened besides me making the mistake and not wanting to tell you about it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And mistakes are really sort of a, a, a testing ground for what's going on in our relationship long term and how that relationship is going to evolve. So there's a theory about leader-follower relationships talking about how as we progress within the relationship, and and not all relationships even do progress at at these levels, some of them just stay at these very superficial levels, that there will be some sort of testing period. Maybe the leader gives the follower a new assignment and they see how that follower does on that assignment and whether both of them agree that they want to contribute more to this relationship and put more effort in into their their work relationship or at that point they might realize that it's not really worth it that maybe one feels that there's not justice there that they're putting in more than the other whether it's the leader or the follower and so in that case they're going to maybe pull back on the relationship and really focus more just on what the minimum is that they should be doing at work and so I think that failure can easily be one of those types of, of of testing periods where the leader and follower realize how the other actually feels about them and how important they are to each other. So when you're, this is a little bit off topic, so sorry for changing the conversation, but when you're talking leader and followers, we've been saying that a lot, are you looking at a certain level of leader or can this be something that's applied to more of like a first-line manager? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So when I think about leader and followers, I'm really looking at people who have more power one over the other, and that can be a variety of different roles. Um, but what I'm really interested in is just, you know, when, when leaders make mistakes, it's unintentional. And it's different than somebody who's purposely trying to be a jerk to their followers or use their work for something or all these other behaviors that we know are, are very toxic in work environments. What I'm interested in is just normal people who made a mistake at work and they didn't mean to. And now they have to figure out what the best way is for them to recover. And so... This could be a manager, this could be someone in a customer service role that you know might have various levels within their organization, maybe people who are working with clients as well. So all these people, you know, as long as there's different levels on their team, maybe the manager of the, the team leader mm-hmm. versus the team member. So it applies to pretty much anybody then that's listening that might have at some point done some sort of leadership level role. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I think it's probably good to make sure that everyone also understands that I would assume like if you're just like really bad at your job that's different yes then you know because uh, <laughs> you know you don't want to just be like oh sorry I made a mistake again I made a mistake again I made a mistake again and like over time it's like well maybe you're just bad at your job mm-hmm. so I'm guessing that those are two separate things right right so these are more like one instance of mistake like one shot in time where you made this mistake and then maybe you made another mistake in the future but it's not like a continuous pattern yeah right well you know that would be interesting to study as well we don't know as much about that either oh but yeah but i'm starting with the one and then we'll see what happens let's see what happens yeah. there are different recovery strategies so if you were to 
if you had a group of employees who may be in leadership positions or have some status differential between people that work or think that they will in the future, what are some of the key things that you would tell them that they should do when an error happens or a mistake happens? So I think maybe our first response, especially when we truly feel bad about something, is that we kind of we want that confirmation from someone else that it's okay now. And as leaders, we have to take a step back and think about what's really best for our team or the organization and not just what we want to feel in that moment. And often when we feel bad about something that happened, all we want to do is just feel better about it. But you shouldn't be putting that on your followers to help you feel better. Um, So if you apologize too much, for example, if you make a really big deal out of it, sometimes what you're actually doing is you're putting the victim in the position of trying to reassure you that it's okay because the way that um, these things typically go is that I make a mistake, I tell you I'm sorry, and now it's your job to say, oh, it's okay, I don't mind, or, or something mm-hmm. like that. And especially when the leader has a higher level of status over the follower and the follower doesn't really feel free to truly express how they feel, there's sort of a limit of the types of things that they can really say back in an mm-hmm. appropriate way. So it may not be that may not be a, a, the appropriate response for the leader to get that um, validation from their followers. And sometimes yeah. you want to think about why am I apologizing to people and is it for that reason? If it's really more about repairing the relationship with the follower where you know that this mistake that you made really affected them and might affect your relationship in the future, I think that's a good reason to apologize. And in that case, you want to focus more on them and their Um, outcomes and not so much about you and what you did and how bad you feel. So you may actually, instead of saying, you know, I'm so sorry and and going on about it that way, perhaps uh, redirect the conversation and say, thank you so much for you know, coming through for me in that situation and you were really a great employee and I, I really value that I can count on you and rely on you. And that's a much better story for everyone to tell about sort of resilience and optimism versus really focusing on the negativity of failure because you're also acting as a role model. So mm-hmm. when the leader shows that they can fail well and, and keep going, then that tells everyone else that it's okay to fail as well. And from my other research area of innovation, we know that this is really important for people to, to keep going and to be resilient, to keep pitching new ideas even when they fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I've learned a lot around the way I, <laughs> I work with people because I am the person that is more likely to apologize, like, mm-hmm. for no reason, too much. But I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I, like, sent this one email five minutes too late. You know, like, something stupid. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And everyone's like, why are you? Who cares? You're fine. Yeah. Um, and it can undermine and your it confidence. Can, exactly. And I, it makes you seem more anxious. Exactly. And I think I've actually thought about your research with this before. Because there was one um, instance where, like, I had asked this question. And I kind of, someone took it the wrong way. And it basically, like, went up to this other, this person whose question, uh, this person that I was talking to that I had this question about, um, like what this something that they had done, it had it accidentally got escalated to like their leader, and it wasn't intentional. It was just I had this question, and I didn't realize that he would necessarily have the answer, so I kind of sent out this big email to like my whole team to ask this one thing to talk to this client about, and and he had the answer, but it kind of made him look bad almost mm-hmm. like in a weird way. It didn't it didn't mm-hmm. look as good for him because I went to instead of directly to him, mm-hmm. I went to the broader team. And like it's not a big deal, but I felt really bad because I was like, oh, I didn't mean to like undermine your knowledge. I just didn't realize that this 
would be in your wheelhouse, mm-hmm. thought it was in somebody else's wheelhouse. And so then, like, his manager responded and said something that he should answer that question. And then I felt really guilty that, like, I involved his manager without meaning to, meaning to make it this whole thing. And I feel like that's a very vague description, but I don't want to go into too much detail. <laughs> but it's, and again, it's not really a big deal, so I probably could go into detail and they would listen to this and be like, who cares? Now you're going to apologize yeah. for talking about it. <laughs> probably. I'll be like, so I talked about this issue. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Break the cycle. Break the cycle. <laughs> Stop apologizing. Yeah, but then I like made this whole thing out of it. And I was like, why am I doing this? Like After I had sent like, all these emails, they're like, I'm sorry about this and I'm sorry to you and I'm sorry to this person. And I was just like, okay, just stop. Like, nobody cares. It was not really a, it was not a big deal at all, but I made it this big deal because I just felt bad for this one person. Yeah. And made this, yeah, and just felt stupid. And so I kept saying sorry. And really, it would have just been better to talk to that one person, maybe one-on-one for the relationship side, mm-hmm. but not make, like, a fuss about it. Like, I asked yeah. too many people the same question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's some research that says that when you make mistakes, people see you as more human. They may relate to you more. They might empathize with you more. And someone in a leadership position, that could really help them for levels of warmth, you know, and Mm -hmm. feeling like you can connect to your leader more. And the way that you recover can actually help you more than had you never made the mistake at all. So if you recover well, if you make a mistake and you recover well, your relationship with your follower can actually be even better than it was before the mistake. So it could go either way. I had a question too, because we're all women. And so with regard to gender, you know, you hear a lot about women apologizing way more than men and, uh, you know, feeling more badly for making Mm -hmm. mistakes and uh, maybe feeling more like they need to repair relationships, things of that nature. Is there anything that suggests that male and female leaders differ on this? Yeah, that's a question I get all the time. I think a lot of people are really interested in that. There was a daily diary study by Schumann and Ross in, in 2010 that was looking at mistakes. It wasn't with leaders and followers, but it was just kind of in daily interactions do women apologize more. And what they found was that it was more that women perceived conflict more often than men did. So mm. as long as both the men and women perceived that something really was worth apologizing for, they actually do apologize at the same rate as men do, but they just differ in what they perceive as worthy of even discussing as a conflict. So, mm. so like my situation. Just yeah. Yes, because right. it was all men, and all the men were like, Okay. And I'm like, I'm sorry. But I also wonder if that could have the opposite effect too, where it could be a positive leadership strength if making the mistake and then doing relationship repair. Like I know from the research that I do in the gender area, Mm -hmm. women are trained to be much more focused on relationships, but that means that we're also more in tune with other people's feelings. Mm -hmm. So we're more likely to pick up on, oh, there was something weird about that meeting. You know, maybe I need to follow back up with that person because I felt like they were a little off or maybe I said something. Mm -hmm. So on the flip side, you know, if that's the case, it could be that women are actually better at recognizing when a mistake is made and recovering from it more positively from a relationship building standpoint. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure if that's true, but it sounds like it could be. Yeah, it could be, definitely. I mean, I think mistakes, as I said, could have a really positive impact on our relationships as long as Mm -hmm. we um, take care to recover from them well. Yeah, I think that's actually. I'm gonna keep going back to the story, but like, um, <laughs> you're just really upset about this story. Like, oh, I can't believe I did this. This is an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> but but to that point though, I know that the person that I felt bad about kind of stepping over would have felt bad about it. Right. You know what I mean? Like I know that he his relationships are. You know we. I've heard of him talk about other people in their relationships with him, mm-hmm. and I, I really under I feel like I get where he's coming from, and I feel like I get his emotions around this type of stuff. Yeah, and so to that, that's why I felt that way. Like right. I feel like if one of my male coworkers did the same thing, they probably wouldn't have apologized to right. him. But I think that they 
don't have the same relationship that yeah. I have with him. It's like, not I have an a unjustified feeling that you yeah. had. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I know that I really needed to fix that thing with this person. I just right. probably didn't need to like apologize to the whole world about it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think my error in my recovery was. <laughs> but to your point, I really felt like I understood what his opinion would have been on this. Yeah. And when we talked through it, it was clear that he did kind of feel bad about it. And I, and I do know that he's been in situations that are similar that other people did not apologize. And yeah. I know that he doesn't have that same relationship with those male coworkers because I don't think they picked up on the fact right. that they stepped over what he was comfortable with. Yeah. yeah. And to your point, there's different types of mistakes that we can make. So there's more relationship-oriented mistakes, as you said. So things that have to do with the relationship that you have with someone you forget someone's name or you accidentally snap at them without meaning to just because you're having a stressful day again unintentional types of things and then there's also task mistakes so you forgot a file that you were supposed to bring for a meeting or you know other ways that you might be showing a little bit of incompetence accidentally and so apologizing for those things you know generally we know that people are much more forgiving of task mistakes because we don't see it as a stable quality Uh, but relationship mistakes and especially integrity mistakes those are are a lot more stable in our minds that when we discover that you've been unethical or we discover that you're kind of mean to people or you don't (laughs) care about people, you don't truly care about your employees, that's going to be much harder for you to recover from at all. It doesn't really even matter what strategy you use. Mm -hmm. That's just people have a hard time getting over that because they see it as something that's really stable about you. Yeah, I've actually heard of this. I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on this. So there's a in an organization that I know of, there's this guy that's kind of like a leader level, like mid-level leader, and everybody that's at his level loves him. But when you talk to some people that, not even just as a direct reports, but other people that he might have to delegate work to, mm-hmm. they're not, so they don't love him because he carries this like status thing. Yeah. So like whenever there's something that goes wrong, he like pulls rank almost mm-hmm. in yeah. this really weird way where it's like, even if it was his mistake, it's actually the other person's mistake. Yeah. And he always does that over and over again. Yeah. And so I feel like that goes to, I mean, his recovery is clearly not ever owning to anything, and it doesn't right. seem to be working well at all. Yeah. And there, there's actually some evidence. Nathan Fast has a, a study showing that there, this culture of blame can actually proliferate. So again, as a leader, you're a mm-hmm. role model. So what do you do when you fail? If you blame other people, you're teaching your followers that's the appropriate and acceptable right. thing to do within your own organization because every mm-hmm. organization has their own culture. And so if this leader is always blaming other people, what, what they're really teaching everyone in their organization is that they don't they shouldn't be taking accountability for their mistakes, which mm-hmm. is you know bad for things like learning or innovating or progressing really in any way. They're not going to be able to make their mistakes better and improve their performance over time because of that. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if I make like a task-related mistake, let's say, and Patricia's my coworker, and I say, oh, that was Patricia's fault. That's also kind of a relationship mistake, right? Mm-hmm. So there's kind of like different yeah, uh, ways like of thinking that about that. A double relationship mistake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's really cool. Interesting. So can you talk to us a little bit about what projects you're working on now that you find really exciting? Sure, yeah. So... You know, along with my research on leader accountability, um, I'm also interested in innovation and kind of conflict more generally, which we had talked about. I'm doing some work now on dual leading for innovation, which I think is is great to see. The two of you started this (laughs) worker being podcast together, and we know a lot of um, organizations are started by two people rather than one. There's a lot of really good reasons for that. So 
two people bring uh, complementary expertise. So you said you don't like taking pictures, but yes. Patricia can do that for well, you. I'm bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> and I have nice. learned from Lily, so that <laughs> yeah. makes me a little bit better. <laughs> All our trips together. Yeah. That was your photography boot camp. I mean, it has been, because you would have me take pictures of you, and then be like, You're li- that lighting's not good, that angle, not, no, 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 no. So then I learned all this stuff that I would never have thought about before. Yeah, yeah. But also, when you're either doing an entrepreneurial venture or when you're in a leadership position, it can get really lonely. So having a second person there for social support can mm-hmm. help you to get through some of the harder times or to um, commiserate with you when things don't feel like they're working out or to give you optimism and, and hope and to further your commitment. So all these different things are going to be good for innovation in particular. So basically you're saying we did things correctly. You did it right. You did together. it right. Good job. Yeah. Good job, us. <laughs> so I'll just go cry on Katina's shoulder or I'll be or I'll be her cheerleader. <laughs> and it's not to say that people who start a company by themselves or um, who are a manager by themselves don't have anything like that because often they still find a partner that may not be in the equivalent role to them but um, might be someone that they still mm-hmm. use as a, a source of support as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to conclude with that would help us to educate our audience about some takeaways around leadership or what to do in making mistakes or, you know, the listener just made a mistake at work. Mm -hmm. What do you want to tell them to do? Yeah, so I guess, you know, I'm not trying to be negative about apologies because I do think they're really important, especially for maintaining relationships and improving relationships, but they're just not quite as effective. They're not just like... the perfect recovery strategy that's always going to work. So I guess think more carefully about the reason that you're choosing the recovery strategy that you are and about your role within the organization and and what this mistake is going to mean to your team. And think about it in a more personal way of with each person that you hurt. Hopefully it's a small team because it's going to be a big task <laughs> that we're talking about. You know, think about more personally what you're going to do to recover because it's not just about what you say. Of course, it's your actions as well. Great. So uh, we have one final fun question for you, and we hope that you won't find it uh, too intrusive, so if you're up for it. (laughs) Uh, But our question is, what wellness practice would you never, ever try, even if the research said it was amazing for you, Mm -hmm. and why would you not try it? So intrusive. Very intrusive. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I got to say the treadmill desk. Do you? You guys Yeah, treadmill one, right? desk. No. no, I don't have a treadmill desk. Okay, no. so I feel like I already have enough trouble focusing on just staying in the middle of a treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> so that I don't fall off of it. So for me, this seems like a terrible idea. <laughs> I think I'd like a big safety risk. Yeah, I would totally fall. Yeah. And I would knock yeah. over everything, too. I'd be like, well, there goes my water. Yeah. You know? How do I get it? I have yeah. to get off the treadmill. Yeah. Or, like, you're, like, get really wrapped up in something and then you forget to just, like, keep walking. Yeah. <laughs> exercise should be fun and something that you look forward to so I try to listen to music or a podcast like this one um and so the idea of just forcing myself to work and exercise at the same time (laughs) seems really depressing like this is going to be the worst hour of my life yeah (laughs) that's really good that's a good one I agree I I agree and I I don't know I feel like I'm a little clumsy and I would totally fall 
Yeah, this is I a big safety risk for you. Yeah, Just keep you off the treadmill desk. <laughs> yes, no treadmill desk for Patricia. So no. if you do have a treadmill desk and you fall off and you bump into one of your coworkers, remember to think about how you recover from that uh, appropriately. I think an um, apology might be okay. In that one. I think so, too. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. You've been an awesome guest. We really appreciate it, yes. and I hope you have a great rest of your conference. And uh, everybody, keep looking for uh, Lily Cushberry's work. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this interview. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or comments or feedback, please reach out to us. You can find us on social media at WorkerBeing, which is W-O-R-K-R-B-E-E-I-N-G. You can find us on all social media with that handle. And you can also email us at WorkerBeing at gmail.com. Or if you're interested in reading more about these topics, you can look at our website at WorkerBeing.com. Thank you. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. 